Time to jump into trucking trends. Tim Ashoff is with us here on the program, of course, with Crete and Schaefer. Hey, Tim, good morning. Good morning. Great to be here again. Good to have you. And, you know, uh, the number 21 pops up now. And for once, it's not about how old you have to be to drive a truck. It's the new uh, end date for the comment period uh, that the FMCSA put out there. Um, the original closeout date was going to be October 7, and then the ATA asked for a 30-day 30, 30 extension. The CVSA asked for a 45-day ex uh, uh, extension, and the FMCSA came back with two weeks. Kind of surprised. I kind of thought they were going to go for the 30 days, Tim. I lost a cup of coffee on that one. Uh, but 21, October 21, is the new uh, deadline for the comment period. Yeah, you know, it was great that they did give some extra time, and I think they were they're they're on two th things that they're balancing here is is they do want to get um, some of these adjustments made and done, and get them through the rest of the process, so back through OMB and and the other the regulatory checks that they got to get off their list in order to get them in place. But at the same time, balancing they they know they want additional information from people from commenters. You know, they want I've been, I listened in on. A couple of the comment periods, I've, I've talked to some of the folks there, and if they want to make any adjustments, they need data, they need facts, uh, they need information to do that. And so they do want to, they did extend that period to get more of that information. And I know that they are actually pleased with the, all the comments they are getting and, and that they can get some more and get some real data will be helpful to them as well. There are uh, several factors uh, that play into the changes of four major um, areas of concern. Some of them have to do with the 150-mile, um, uh, you know, radius thing and some other things. But um, one of the key proposals is to extend the maximum on-duty period from 12 to 14 hours, but at the same time keep the current maximum daily driving hours at 11, which, and you heard this too, I did too, um, in that last uh, listening session, uh, coercion now has has played uh, in in uh, as a major a major concern here. I think after the dust settled a little bit, folks said, "Wait a minute, this sounds real good, but you know that could be a two-edged sword." Um, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on that, and then what are your folks telling you? So but first off, I think if you're all of companies like us, like Crete and Schaefer would would say no. We we never view these rules as an avenue for us as a way to you know coerce our drivers to do something more, particularly to do anything that's not safe. So um, I, I appreciate the concerns that the drivers have out there. Um, it doesn't concern me if if the FMCSA uh, broadens their uh, coercion anti-coercion rules to say yes, uh, we're, we'll. We are ensuring that these these flexibility provisions just can't be used, to, you know, by a carrier to coerce a driver. I think that there's already um, in the regulations anti-coercion rules and and just general uh, safety rules that apply to us as carriers that would prevent that anyway. But if they want to make that more specific, um, that's fine. I don't think uh, any of us carriers would say, "Hey, giving the drivers more flexibility is, is what we want in order to try to coerce them to do something that's not safe." So I do appreciate that concern and and. I don't see uh, an issue with that. I don't know if the FMCSA will specifically say something about that because they may say, well, we have that in in, in the other parts of our regulatory scheme that already yeah. covers this, but time will tell on that. 
Yeah, that's true. There is a whistleblower um, provision, although you do have to go through some, you know, to be fair, you do have to go through, through some hoops to uh, to make uh, whistleblower complaints. And a lot of folks don't feel as if they have the wherewithal to kind of make that happen because it does take some effort and some uh, diligence to to follow through uh, on some of that. Sure. Um, one of the things that I like to one of the people I, I, I love in history is uh, President Eisenhower. And when he was uh, preparing for D-Day, he made the famous uh, statement about in war, plans are useless, but planning is essential. And uh, it's hard to plan. And then it's hard to kind of keep the plans going in terms of planning when you're not, you know, something's coming. You kind of know what it might be, but it, the devil's in the details here. Um, how at this point we're still in the notice of proposed rulemaking, and that's the key word here: uh, proposed rulemaking. So the comment period is there for a purpose, a real purpose, because that proposal may change. Uh, they put out some ideas. What do you think about these ideas? Okay, well. Why don't we kind of adjust that idea a little bit? But that little adjustment can make a lot of difference in terms of hours, in terms of miles. So uh, what are you guys seeing uh, as uh, how this change is going to impact Creighton Schaefer and Hunt, for that matter, if it's ultimately approved in its current form? And I guess that's the only way to really plan for it um, without making a plan, if you know what I mean. <laughs> that's right. Well, I, I think uh, going along that planning line, I think we're going to continue our planning. Uh, and what we've done, and, and certainly uh, it's great now having the, the information from our drivers with the ELDs and otherwise to try to plan so that we give them the, the best freight that matches their hours so that if it runs perfectly, um, they wouldn't have to worry about any of hours of service issues or otherwise. But as we know, and as Eisenhower said, plans don't go perfectly. And so right now, when those plans don't go perfectly, um, it's a challenge for us and our drivers to work together to either you know reset delivery appointments or, or other things. If the, this flexibility comes out there, maybe when plans don't run perfectly or when we hit that weather situation or others, um, we won't have to do so much of resetting of plans and the drivers can can still safely uh, deliver within the hours of service rules. So from a planning perspective, we're not looking to change anything because we are trying to plan uh, to where a lot of these flexibility provisions don't necessarily need to be used. Um, they, they will be used then when things don't go perfectly, which the reason why everybody wants these uh, flexibility provisions is because <laughs> it seems sometimes more often than not things don't go perfectly. Uh, so that that's one thing how we view it as a planning. But then in talking with our drivers, um, you know, the biggest thing that they're hoping for and planning for is really that 30-minute rest-bake rule and some flexibility mm -hmm. um, on that. And I know that there is some proposed flexibility that that can be done as um, on-duty. It doesn't have to be an off-duty period of time. But the bigger thing is is really asking, hey, could we at least break that up into, you know, two 15-minute sessions because you know, nobody essentially uh, drives for eight hours straight. It's just not good for them. It's not healthy for them. They want to stop. They want to get out. They want to move around. And they feel in some ways they're penalized for doing that if they can't break that 30-minute um, 
break into two different breaks, you know, 15 maybe after three and a half hours or so, and then, a, you know, another 15 after another three to, three to four hours, because practically that's how they're driving. And, and so hopefully through the comment period, we can, we can get some flexibility on that and, and see what happens. One of the things, too, that um, we have in terms of, of comment and influence are you have folks in trucking, you have folks in the supply chain who deal on a daily basis with the carrier link of the, the shipper re- carrier receiver supply chain uh, links. Mm-hmm. But then you have the, the safety groups who kind of take a look at it f- uh, from the outside looking in. Most, if not all, of those people are nine to five. So if a guy uh, or a lady, for that matter, uh, has a nine to five job, they go to work, they leave at 8 in the morning, get there for 9. Maybe it's an hour commute. They come home, they get off at 5, they'll be home at 6 o'clock. And if you told that person, well, you know, you um, there may be some things that happen. Why don't you just go ahead and take a break in the middle of the day? That guy's going to say, oh, wait, instead of getting home at 6, now I'm going to get home at 9? That makes a big difference to that person. That same up to up to three hour break in the middle of a day for one reason or another traffic weather maybe just tired um, it doesn't really make that much difference if you're out and you're you know three hundred miles away from home anyway uh, it's hard to get that that idea across isn't it or am I getting the idea across it, it is uh, you know it, and I think what people sometimes don't um, view in that is that the, the level of stress that can reduce for the the driver by allowing them to do that, um, you know, like you said, avoid that traffic or, hey, when I am feeling a little bit more tired, give me a chance to stop and, and actually, actually uh, you know, revive myself at that period of time versus, um, you know, forcing myself to drive maybe when I should be taking a rest break. And and if you put give them that peace of mind, I think that that really drives towards safety. Um, we can lower the stress level of drivers. That lowers fatigue as well. And so I think that is something missed. And I think your example, you know, is a good one in trying to get people to understand, well, your lowest level of stress is by getting out of the office at 5. Our driver's lowest level of stress is driving when it is the less, least stressful for them. So whether that's avoiding, you know, Chicago, Atlanta traffic over the rush hour or, um, you know, when I am not feeling like uh, I'm on my peak performance, let me take a take a rest break here uh, for a period of time and then let me drive again when I am feeling good. That, that That's my least amount of stress. So it's just understanding what are the stressors of the job and how can drivers relieve those. Yes, and I think this is where the comment period from drive. You know, uh, one of the things you mentioned early on in the discussion here this morning, Tim, is that uh, they want data. Data is great, and and we're all data driven now. But data doesn't tell the full story. That'll give you the numbers, but then you get into the um, the individual uh, realizations of what those numbers mean, and it's those anecdotal stories that drivers can tell briefly, of course, in those comments that I think can really tip the scale. Yeah, you're going to have the organizations, you're going to have the companies like you guys are going to send in data, but you're also going to send in uh, some of the real life uh, experiences that drivers 
are feeling that will make an impact in those comments. That's why the comments are so crucial. Absolutely, because uh, in essence, uh, you get enough of those comments and you get enough of, of some consistency between that. And I think the FMCA does look at that as data then. It's not just one, a one-off anecdotal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a series of similar comments that really then they view as, well, that, that, that is, becomes you know, reality. It becomes a data point for them. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes data sounds too scientific, but I, I do think it's so important what you just said for your for your listeners out there that are drivers and do have a comment on this. Take the time in the next couple of weeks. They've made it pretty easy to make comments uh, over the internet. Um, do that, and and you can be a part of the process. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, October twenty first is one date to look at now, but there's another date in the middle of December that we've been looking at for a few years now, and that is the drop dead date for the A board to go away, the ELD to come in. You guys at Creek Schaefer Hunt are now in the process and have been of transitioning from A boards to ELDs. Tim, how's it going? How's the process working? Uh, and what does it mean for your drivers? And again, most importantly, what are your drivers telling you about it? Well, technologically, thank, thankfully, uh, the transition has been going smooth. So we appreciate our, our vendor that's working with us and our internal team on doing that. So so that's been uh, a good thing because anytime you make a programming change, you know, you can have technical issues. So that, that's always a concern. But then more practically, um, as we've given our drivers training, you know, they understand this doesn't change the hours of service rules at all. It's more, again, about how they are uh, practically using their device. And, and, you know, as you know, I think uh, there, there are some challenges with that in, in, you know, drivers get in routines, they get in habits, and now we have to form some new habits because of, you know, with the ELDs, um, it, once your truck is moving, uh, you know, above five miles an hour, it, it's going to put you on on-duty driving unless before you started moving you put yourself in a different status and uh, you know that's something that's a little bit different and you can't go back and then edit that on-duty driving time and and so in the past when a driver may have forgotten to put them in a different status they could stop they could edit it move it to a different uh, drive line uh, drive line and and manage that now they can't do that anymore. So it's a much as about drivers getting into the habit of understanding the intricacies of these new rules and ensure we're we're changing our our day to day lives in that way. And then the other one I hear is sometimes the challenge of of the the five mile an hour rule. Um, as you know, um, there's a couple different times where drivers should can you know, legitimately during a break may want to move their truck. I, I hear about you know hey I was parked at the back of the truck stop I. I got up after nine hours of, of break, and there's a spot right up front, and rather than drive back and forth, I just want to pull up. Well, now if in pulling up, you, you go over five miles an hour, that interrupts your break. And and uh, a lot of people don't realize that five miles an hour is not very fast. And so that that's something they're getting used to, and, and uh, I... I, I uh, I hear I get jokes from our drivers where it used to be, uh, you know, in the truck stops you'd always be telling others to, to slow down. You're going too fast now. It's like you got to tell them to speed up. But uh, you know, just little intricacies like that they're getting used to um, and developing, you know, some new habits. Boy, I'll tell you, it, it just got real, so to speak. Um, one of the other things, of course, that um, we um, are going to need to talk about here this morning. AB5, Assembly Bill Number 5. It's been signed by the governor of California. Um, 
that bill could, and I think that's a, I'll, I'll see how you feel about the uh, the importance of that word, but uh, AB5 could make it difficult to use owner-operators as independent contractors, and possibly uh, New Jersey might go that route as well. Tim, how uh, is this going to affect carriers and drivers that operate? Uh, and let's just pick on California at the moment, because New Jersey is kind of uh, still uh Pending. Uh, and so how how is this going to affect carriers and drivers in California? Could there be ripple effects throughout the entire country and the uh, entire industry? Well, it's going to have a significant impact in, in California. If you're a, you know, California-based in particular and, and the majority of your operations are there, it certainly is impacting you. So if you have that owner-operator model, um, you're going to have to change, and, and you're going to have to con- either convert those you know, drivers to uh, company drivers uh, to try to continue on. Uh, some of those drivers won't want to do that. They're, they're owner-operators for a reason. Um, or you may need to change your whole business model. There's some talk that, that maybe some of these companies could could convert more to just a broker uh, and just broker all their freight out to truly independents, uh, not those that are leased on with them. Um, but that creates some different challenges, uh, not only for the company becoming a broker, but also for the owner-operator then having to get their independent authority, get their own insurance, uh, you know, a number of things that uh, being leased on owner-operators, um, you know, companies like us can help them with those types of things. And it is having a ripple effect uh, across the country. Um, you know, I, I've talked to some other carriers out there that have uh, operations in California with significant amount of owner operators, and they're they're going through that process, uh, converting them to to company drivers. And then for people even like like us, we don't have significant operations in California, but we do have a few of our uh, owner operators that are running our random, you know, over the road cross country 48 state um, freight. But because they live in California, we're going to have to um, address the situation as well. And the last open question that we as kind of a, a, a in the industry is for over the road truckers in particular looking at is even if we have owner operators that aren't from California but are regularly going into California, will this law capture them as well? And uh, so I think that's a that's an open question we're finding. And if that is the case, I think how people look at California and doing business in California. Um, it is going to be uh, uh, interesting over the next uh, 12 months. And, you know, we hear from our customers even that they're hearing from some other carriers that, uh, particularly some smaller ones, that, well, we're just not going to California anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we'll pick up freight in other places. And so uh, the dynamic and the impact that's going to have on, on the shippers and the supply chain out there will be uh, uh, interesting to see. There are a couple of lawsuits that you and I talked very briefly uh, during the news break at the top of the hour. Um, it's all, Well, you know, this is one of those things, everything we've talked about, I mean, everything we talk about, generally speaking, in this industry, Tim, you and I and anybody you talk to, everybody we talk to on the program, it's always trucking-oriented coming from the government directly to trucking, this AB5, trucking just got pulled into everything, uh, any, the gig economy, quote unquote. And they, I don't know that anybody really, except for the industry itself, sat down and said, hey, wait a minute, trucking doesn't work like waiters in a restaurant. Trucking doesn't work like, you know, this and that and people who cut grass or mow lawns and all of these other areas that kind of just drug got, and trucking got drug into here. So it's almost as if you're going to have to have, not so not for punitive reasons, but you're going to have to have some suits to try to figure out 
what adjustments need to be made to make trucking viable in California or to make California itself viable in getting their stuff. Yeah, you know, and it's unfortunate that it gets to that point. I know that the the California Trucking Association, the Western State Trucking Associations, tried to educate the the legislature out there mm-hmm. as to, hey, let, let let's avoid having to get to this lawsuit stage at the end. Let's work on some things and understand the trucking world versus the you know Uber Lyft driver world or the other things that you mentioned. Um, that they were really really focused on, from what we could tell. Uh, rather than you know casting too large of a net, and unfortunately that wasn't successful. So, so yes, here we are, some somewhat in the unknown right now, in an unknown period, and then having to go through um, some lawsuits and uh, industry-wise to to really figure out what does this mean. It's costly, it's time-consuming. There's there is a period of unknown, and if you're a, a company owner and go, well, if I'm not going to know the answer for a year and a half or two years. I don't know if it's, and I could get caught up in it in the meantime, that's, that could be very costly to me. Maybe I just move on. So I yeah. think it's, it's going to have that impact, and that's unfortunate for smaller companies in particular. Be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Tim, I don't think we'll run out of things to talk about. It's always great to have you with us on the program. Have a great week, and uh, have a great uh, fourth quarter.